This edition of the Generations Radio Program originally aired in 2019. For additional shows on hundreds of topics, search our archives at generations.org. This is the Generations Radio Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you today. Steve Vaughn, also in the studio with me. Just a couple of homeschooling dads addressing the issues of children, raising children in a postmodern age where the worldviews have shifted dramatically against a biblical world and life view. And our children are subjected to a different social environment, a radically different social environment coming out of multiple social revolutions and cultural revolutions over the last 150 years or so. So again, friends, we step back and we, we take a look at where we are today and we apply biblical solutions, biblical answers to these particular situations. CBS News points out that teen deaths are on the rise, 12% increase in teen deaths between 2013 and 2016. Well, that's only three years. Yeah. So in three years, a 12% increase at that rate, it's doubling every 15 years. Uh, homicide, suicide, drug overdoses. Suicide rates have doubled since 1960. From three per 1,000, it rose up to about 14 per 1,000 in the 1980s and then back down to five and then back up to nine per 1,000 over the last 10 years. Yeah. So it's interesting that with the increase in drug use came the increase of suicide in the 1960s and 1970s. Yeah, that makes sense, though, because uh, people take drugs and drink alcohol in order to try to numb the pain. But then when they sober up, the all their problems still are there. Yeah. And the only way to permanently numb it in in their mind is to, to die. It's interesting that the rates of suicide came down sharply in the 1990s. And I attribute that to the evangelical awakening of the 1970s and 1980s. I, I think that actually did have a positive effect on the nation. And, of course, the homeschooling movement grew out of that period of time as well. So that, that, those were the glory days of the modern evangelical world. So that something happened in America in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, certainly that rise in drug use and suicide was curbed sharply by the increase in evangelicalism in America in the 1980s and early 1990s, and then that went away, and suicide rates and drug rates are higher now. At least the drug rates are higher than they were in the 1960s and 1970s now. Drug yeah. rates are have skyrocketed, and drug deaths have skyrocketed in just the last 10 years. Yeah, more people are doing heroin than they ever did in the 60s and 70s. Big it, time. It's huge. Big time, big time, by orders of magnitude. Okay, now, I've also surveyed the top five most popular teen television programs, which gives us a sense for the zeitgeist. <laughs> And uh, not good. I'm sure that was very uplifting. Yeah, yeah. These, these are the top five on the Google listing. Uh, Riverdale is the first, apparently, uh, as well as Sabrina, 13 Reasons Why. Everything is blankety blank, blank, blank. That's yeah. Sadly, there's a, a foul word used in the title of one particular program, and also the 100. Riverdale is full of homosexuality and bisexuality. Uh, Sabrina, of course, is the witch program with all the Satanism, the feminism, the human sacrifice, all that presented in a positive light. And then 13 Reasons Why, another lesson on suicide. Yeah. 
as another season rolls by on suicide. 13 Reasons Why. And Everything is Blankety Blank is another program about a teen girl coming out as a lesbian. The 100 also about teen homosexuals surviving Armageddon. So basically Satanism, suicide, and sodomy are the three topics that uh, have captured the attention of the teen population right now. That is not, and, and this is again exclusively for the top five most popular programs available for teens today, exclusively focused upon Satanism, suicide, and sodomy. That was not the case even like five years ago. That wasn't the case 15 years ago. It certainly was not the case 40 years ago. Uh, this would be just recent. This is where teens are today. They're, they're Satanists. Uh, they're into suicide and sodomy more than anything else. Yeah, we've come a long ways from Leave it to Beaver and Father Knows Best and you know, Make yeah. Room for and Daddy. And I think the thing that was like shocking that. to yeah. me, Steve, is that it's 100% focus on the dalliances with suicide, sodomy, and Satanism. It's 100% for the top five most popular TV programs, at least those listed on the Google listing. Okay, so, It's in everything, too. It's, yeah. it, so every modern show today, you're going to find things mm. like that, especially the homosexuality. Yeah. All right. Here's a quote also from David Capellian. This is a recent article that he wrote for, I think it's WorldNet Daily. Um, here's a quote from him. I think it's very helpful to understand how teens are affected and in, impacted and influenced today. A recent national survey taken by Barna's organization concluded that of the dominant social influences, including things like movies, television, books, popular music, parents, politicians, and the like, churches do not even make it into the top dozen influencers in our culture. In other words, non-influencing. Yes, okay, church attendance is still at 40%, and there's still that sort of rock band doing whatever they do in the front of the church. I'm sorry, but the influence of modern evangelical Christianity is pretty much the influence that you make on a glass of water and you stick your finger down into it and pull it back out. You can see the influence you've made on that cup of water when you put your finger into the water, pull it back out, and you've made an impact. <laughs> Not. Right. That, my friends, is what the church is doing today. That's the kind of impact the church has. It has nothing, nothing of an impact in comparison with the pop culture at least for those who have the access to their peer and pop culture in the public schools. The media, the public schools, the pop culture, the peer culture is accommodating the destruction of society sexually and every other way, of course. Pop culture and peer culture is deadly. Let's just say it. Somebody stand up in the church next Sunday and you tell the church congregation, that pop culture and peer culture is deadly. That's why parents are hesitant to let their kids participate in church youth groups, public schools, even private Christian schools. We understand this. They're, because, see, the pop culture is very powerful. It's the most dominant and powerful influencer, and the peer culture is influenced by the pop culture if they own iPhones and iPads, which is the case for the 60 or 80 or 90 or 95 percent of the kids that attend the Christian schools or the youth groups. So, again, pop culture is 10 times more influential today, even since the development of the iPhone, the iPad some 10 years ago. And I say this because in 1990, kids would watch television with their parents in the living room, and typically they wouldn't be celebrating the sodomy, the Satanism, and the suicide because parents would probably be a little more concerned about that. There was something of an accountability with parents during those years. 
but it was hard to take a 600 pound television set and uh, take it into the bathroom with you and hang out with your pop culture in the bathroom in 1990. Why? Because people had a hard time carrying 600 pound television sets in the bathrooms. It just didn't happen back then. Now you've got an iPhone. What are the way? Three ounces. Take it anywhere you want. You can watch whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, all by yourself. And that's the difference. Yeah. Even all the way through the night. Well, friends, pop culture, peer culture, deadly. Get your kids away from the peers. Raise them in family economies where the family works together. The kids have little contact with the world or at least with peer culture and pop culture. Take them to church primarily to hear the preaching of the word of God. So the church should have a powerful influence. The church should be the number one or number two influence in your kid's life. Absolutely. Don't go to church primarily for the fellowship. Go to church to hear the preaching of the word and for serious engagement with the word of God, for singing the psalms and the hymns, to get serious about the truth of God's word. You know, the preaching of the word used to have a primary influence on the minds of the populace. Sermons were included in the Monday edition of the newspaper. I had a copy of the Rocky Mountain News from like 1884. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. The Rocky Mountain News. It's defunct now. Yes, it is. But I had a copy of the Rocky Mountain News from 1884, like a Monday edition, and on the front page, there was a sermon preached in a local church on that Sunday. All right, my friends. Well, let me give you one more caveat, then we're going to take a break. You know, you can do all the right things. You can set all the right buttons. You can protect your children from all the right wrong influences and give them the right influences. Yet you still have to deal with the heart. If their hearts are turned towards the world, it's because their hearts are depraved. They haven't been regenerated. You could say, hey, I've done all the right things, but my team is still in rebellion. What's going on here? We're going to address that next on the Generations Broadcast. Hello, my friends. For the last 15 years, the Generations team has produced a Christian curriculum specifically for families who want to give their children a God-centered, Bible-saturated, biblical worldview-based education. Our commitment is to restore the Christian faith, generational faith in an age where we are losing faith in this country and almost anywhere around the world, where Christian children attend secular schools or use secular curriculum and imbibe secular culture. Now, we're not relying on the pre-Christian Greeks for an educational model here. We're not relying on the post-Christian secularists for the education model either. Our curriculum is based in a biblical worldview. We put hundreds of Bible verses in the history books and integrate the truths into the subjects. We want to glorify God on every page of the science books. We immediately integrate knowledge into life application and natural revelation with special revelation. We keep Christ at the very center of the history books with preparing the world for Jesus and taking the world for Jesus. I believe God is calling this generation in this highly secularized age to a radical change in how they disciple their children. Please check out our program for education of your children and grandchildren at www.generations.org. We are back on the Generations broadcast. This is Kevin Swanson. I'm a homeschool father of five. Steve Vaughn, also in studio, homeschool father of six. Our kids mostly teenagers and post-teens. My kid's 18 to 27 years of age. 
So we're talking uh, about things, to 28, 13 to 28. So we we're talking about things we've had some experience with here. Just a little. maybe. <laughs> and we have been duly humbled in the process. You're, I thought your kids were perfect. <laughs> I, I, oh, no, I, no, no. I want to be like, Kevin. sadly, yeah. sa- sadly, no more perfect than I am. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So friends, here's, here's the thing people have said, and I've heard this before. Hey, we've done all the right things. I think. But my teen is still in rebellion. What, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. Number one. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yeah. That's what's going on here. Yeah, you have to be born again first, uh, and yes. then you see the kingdom. Now, we are, yeah. we're not saying that parents don't have responsibilities to provide an atmosphere and environment in which the teaching of the Word of God is accessible in family worship and the church worship, and to prevent other competing doctrines, whether it be the humanist, the Muslim, the Lady Gaga doctrine, or whatever it is, to prevent the other forms of discipleship from entering into the environment as we raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, so we're saying we, we, we block those factors and we present them a nurture and an admonition of the Lord, as we are instructed to do. So that's what we do. That's our responsibility. But friends, you still need the Holy Spirit of God working on the inside of our kids, bringing about this new birth. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit of God comes as the sovereign Spirit. He blows where He wills, and we see the effects of it. And we want to see that in our children's lives, of course. So when people say, hey, I've done all the right things, I think, but my teen is still in rebellion, what's going on here? The first thing we say is, he must be born again. But secondly, here's another point that I think we need to remember, is that God is working on us as parents. And sometimes we forget this. Sometimes he uses, in fact, I think all the time, <laughs> he uses our kids to get to us. Has that oh, yeah. happened in your life, Steve? Oh, yeah. Uh, with every one of them, all, all six of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, God will put into your family, Not, I mean, it begins with your wife. Uh, you, you end up marrying somebody who's going to bring out your weaknesses. You're going to have children that will bring out your other weaknesses. And all of that is discipline from God because he loves you and you are your kids. You are his kids. And so we're. it says in Hebrews, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. He disciplines his kids. He's bringing us to maturity mm. and perseverance and endurance in the faith. So don't miss this, my friends. If your child is exhibiting that rebellion, that pushback in his teenage years, God is working on you, Mom. God is working on you, Dad. You know, there is with some parents also a tendency to grow embittered. In the testing, as God tests us, as God puts us through these trials and uses our children to try us as he does. And there is a tendency sometimes to grow embittered. God is testing your faith through this. Is there faith there? Are you going to respond as Job did, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him? You're going to respond that way. The parent may want to pull back from attending church and thus demonstrating a weakness or a breaking down of faith, or if the children are resistant in family worship. And we've seen Mm -hmm. this. 
sometimes dad gets a little tired of doing family worship with all this resistance going on. Well, the question is this. Well, then what are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? That's the big question then that shows up. Our first commitment is not to our kids. Does that make sense? It's to God. Why do we do family worship? Is it to instruct our children? No, no, no. We do family worship to worship worship God. God. (laughs) Thank you. And the instruction is sort of a side thing. That's right. It's a side benefit. Our first commitment is to God. We're actually called to hate our children, if that's necessary, in our love to God. This is what Jesus says in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, there it is. If anybody comes to me and does not hate his children, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Yeah, we're actually reading through Luke in our family family worship, and that was one of the things we sat and discussed, Mm. that if... It comes to between the two. God comes first. God always comes first. And I need to be willing to follow him at mm-hmm. all costs. That's right. That's right. What this means is that our love for the Lord Jesus Christ must trump every other commitment in our lives. I know this flies in the, pl- in the face of family idolatry, where family activities trump the worship of God on a Sunday or, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. You know, we, we, we see families, homeschool families, who just put their family in front of the worship of God. Family activities more important than worshiping God in church on Sunday. Well, again, Jesus turns to these families and said, no, 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 that's not going to do. That's not going to do. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own children, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Okay, so that's uh, the third point is that uh, God is teaching us and God is getting our attention. Often we discover that we fail to understand something of God's word. And this happened to me too. Remember, I had significant struggles with some of my children four or five years ago, but the struggle was within me. It wasn't just problems with my children. The problem was with me, and I began to see that. I began to look up, and I smiled at one point and said, God, I know you're talking to me. I know you're dealing with me now. I know there's something for you to teach me. And Through those months, I can remember there was a prayer I prayed every day, maybe 15, 20 times a day. It was just this, teach me, Lord. That was it. Teach me, Lord. I know you're teaching me something. I'm listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I want to know what you're teaching me. I know there's something you're teaching me now. Teach me, Lord. That was my prayer. I must have prayed that 200 times. I can still remember, you know, walking out of the bathroom, praying that prayer throughout the day. Yeah, my the the prayer I prayed was similar, but it was a little bit more ecstatic. I think. <laughs> yeah, what do you want? <laughs> more, more of a yeah. screaming, crying, yeah. mourning, weeping yeah. in the process. Yeah, you know, um, we didn't realize that God's working was primary to our working. That's one thing. This is a lesson that I think every Christian parent has to learn: is that God's sovereignty trumps our attempts to be sovereign and to control our children. That's a biggie. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the God, sovereignty of God and the working of God in our children, primary and preeminent. And yet, as parents, we get so involved, so engaged, so focused, we often want to control our children and to control the outcome for them, mm-hmm. when indeed it is God who is sovereign over this. It's for us to submit to that and to believe and to trust in his sovereignty. Yeah, we we cannot control our kids. We can we can tell them what to do. We can try to help them through all of that, but it's it's kind of like 
a woman who's about ready to give birth. It's in God's time, not in ours. We can't control that. Often our children do tell us about ourselves. We, 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 we see things in them or we hear things from them and we realize that they're testifying to a problem that is in us. In other words, they're saying outwardly what we were always thinking inwardly. <laughs> they and, just put a voice to it. Does that ever happen to you? And that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is scary. And it causes us to fall down on our faces before God and repent of our sin and, and ask for his forgiveness and then realize that we are in the process of reconciling our relationship with God, even as our children are in the process of re- reconciling their relationship with God and with us. So, friends, this horizontal, vertical relationship is powerful in in, in this uh, parent-child relationship, and I love the way the Lord works in this. Oh, yeah. And see, we are the children of God, and He's training us just as we are trying to train our children to then eventually be trained by God. Amen. Well, friends, okay, number four in my list of encouragements to those who are struggling with your teens— Cling to the promises still. You know, the new covenant promises something even better than the constant rebellion of Eli's sons, Samuel's sons, and David's sons. You know, it's interesting that my father had six children, and he did better than King David, who was a man after God's own heart. Yeah. Think about that. Think about my humble father raising us on the mission field in Japan in the 1960s, 1970s. Now six children serving God in some capacity around the world. And by God's grace, by God's grace, by God's grace, all the grandchildren are following the Lord, involved in ministries. Amazing. Amazing. Friends, this is the new covenant promise. And here, I'm, I'm going to get up on a... Uh, on a little stump for just a second, and I'm going to holler this out a little louder than I usually do. (laughs) I think Baptists and Presbyterians alike have pretty much given up on the promise in Acts 2. The promise is still to you and to your children. Amen. That's what Peter told that congregation of men, of fathers, that had gathered on Pentecost. He said, men and brethren, I'm here to tell you something. The promise is to you and to your children. He reiterated the Abrahamic promise that the promise would be to us and to our children. And, and this means that the Holy Spirit outpouring on the, on the day of Pentecost involves a, a covenantal continuity. The promise is to you and to your children. And I realize that people have seen so much rebellion, Baptists, Presbyterians alike. They've seen a lot of teenage rebellion as they have turned their kids over to the wrong form of paideia and all the rest. But it certainly is an era in which we have seen a massive millennial turn turnaround and a turn away from the faith. People have seen this kind of rebellion. And so we have a bit of a test of a faith, a faith here in this promise as the massive rebellion is going on right now. But God has promised that in the new covenant, our children would prophesy, would evangelize, would disciple, would be faithful to the covenant. That's Joel 2, repeated in Acts 2. Friends, it's time to sue God for his promise. It's, it's time to, in faith, embrace God and pray the promises of God. I think both Baptists and Presbyterians, Presbyterians say, no, no, w- w- we believe in the covenant. We believe in the promise. I, I personally think there is a weakness in faith, and parents have not gripped onto the promise as they ought to. Malachi 4 and verse 5 tells us that uh, 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction, which means that with the coming of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, with the coming of Christ, there would be a a mighty outpouring such that the hearts of those being discipled were turned to those who were doing the discipling. And this could be the spiritual children. This could be the physical children who are being discipled as the spiritual children in homes, in Christian homes, whether it be Baptist homes or Presbyterian homes. Either way, I want to challenge. I want to challenge parents to grip on to these promises and to realize that in the New Testament, we have a special promise that our children, continuity should be more expected in the New Testament than in the era of David, Eli, and Samuel, whose sons departed from the faith. So as we close, let me also encourage you parents to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. It is true that at some points, some of our churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, have dried up. The Holy Spirit is not with us. Covenantal continuity has become a rarity, an exception. Well, this just simply means that the Holy Spirit outpouring of the Pentecost, as promised in Joel 2 and as exhibited in Acts 2, has not been experienced in your local Baptist church or your local Presbyterian church, where first and foremost, the pastors and the elders seem to be losing the hearts of their children. What does this mean? This means that we have seen something of the abandonment of the Holy Spirit of God. The faith is dying or dead. The faith becomes like what we see in Sardis or Laodicea in in Revelation chapter 3. The faith is dying and dead in some cases, but here's here's what you got to do. Pray for a return of the Holy Spirit of God to come. You get back up into the upper room. And you pray with those brothers and sisters that still care about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God and the new covenant promises. And you pray and you pray and you wait and you hope for the salvation of the Lord to come. And friends, he will come. And finally, be consistent. Keep on teaching patiently, loving your teenage children, teaching them through the teenage years without getting angry, without raising your voice, and always, always, always in prayer and depending upon the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your family. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. I'd encourage you to our little book, Family Life, which introduces this family revival, this family reformation in the 21st century, really bringing back the new covenant promises of the Old Testament and uh, the New Testament. Friends, grab a copy of Family Life at our website, kevinswanson.com or generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Steve Vaughn with us in studio today. And we invite you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. 